Well, good to see all of you here this morning. If you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth, we are in Ruth chapter 2. If you're new with us, my name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship Bible Church. And one of the things we do is we take a book of the Bible and we go through it. We are presently going through the book of Ruth. I have always found fingerprints to be fascinating. This actually gets started when I was a kid. I'd read these Hardy Boy mystery books. I actually read all of them. And, you know, like, these guys are really cool, and they figure things out, and I I just love that. And, you know, sometimes fingerprints would come into play in identifying the criminal or who actually caused the problem, and then advanced on to, like, Sherlock Holmes. But mysteries have always been fascinating, especially fingerprints. And so, like, as a kid, I had a detective book, and uh, once I kind of learned about them, and they, you could actually, like, take scotch tape and you could, like, pick up fingerprints, okay? And so, you know, you have these, like, friction ridge lines. You get to take a look at your finger right now, but I don't know if you notice this, but you have these little friction ridge lines, and, like, whether oil or grease, perspiration, if you touch a metal surface, glass, a mirror, why, you leave your fingerprint. And every single fingerprint is unique. There are certain general patterns, but they're all, everyone is unique, and it's kind of fascinating. So as a kid, I don't know if you did this, but, like, getting scotch tape and, like, putting it on there and pulling fingerprints off. I, in my book, you, know, you had like this black powder. The best I could find was graphite powder, so I'd like try that. Successful making a huge mess, but nonetheless, I was trying, okay? And there's even TV shows like with forensic science plays a key role, and, and fingerprints might make all the difference. But you know, fingerprints generally go unnoticed, right? The only times it seems like we actually recognize fingerprints are like when you're looking at your window and you're like, you got to be kidding. Your kids have done this. You know what I'm saying? Like, why? Why? What was the purpose of that? But there they are, or like the grandkids visit, and okay, there they are, all these little prints just everywhere. They just have to touch it. It's glass, right? And then you see the fingerprints, but for the most part, they go unnoticed, and you rarely think of them. The same could be said about God. The fingerprints, the patterns of his providence, they're everywhere, and yet they almost always go unnoticed. In fact, you have to actually be looking for them. And you're like, well, wait a second. How do you see the fingerprints of God? How can you see the unseen hand of God and his impressions and his work in humanity or in our own lives? And I want you to know that that's exactly what we see when we're in Ruth chapter 2. We discover how to see the fingerprints of God. And I'm so glad you're here this morning and watching online because you are going to be able to see the fingerprints of God as we go through this chapter. Now, just to give you a little bit of background here, what's going on, uh, the book of Ruth really focuses on a woman by the name of Naomi. She has gone through a series of tragedies. Uh, She and her husband Elimelech had been living in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, God brought judgment in the form of a famine. It was so severe that they decided to uproot, take a 50-mile journey to Moab, Israel's enemies, and this is where they lived for 10 years, trying to kind of ride out the famine. While they were there, though, um, things got bad. Not only are they foreigners in a foreign land, but Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Furthermore, her two boys decide, like, okay, we're going to take things in our own hands, and they end up marrying these Moab women who do not know God. They are coming from a very pagan culture. And then those two boys die. And so Naomi then hears that God has revisited the land of Israel and brought bread, food. And so she heads back halfway between Bethlehem and Moab, 
with her two daughter-in-laws in tow, she tries to convince them to leave. She's successful with one. Orpah says, all right, I'll, I'll go back to my gods and my family, and I'll try to do a do-over, find a new husband. But Ruth, on the other hand, has experienced a tremendous change of heart. She has embraced Yahweh, the one true God, and she says in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, nothing is going to separate me and you. Your God, you need to know something, is now my God. And she lays out her life priorities right there in a vow. Well, they make their way back to Bethlehem, and when they do, it's been 10 years since the last time anybody laid eyes on Naomi, but they recognize her, they think. She looks like a shell of what she once was. Her name, pleasant, lovely, certainly the character of her life. Now, who is this weathered, beat-down woman? When she speaks, she speaks of the Almighty, but only in terms of the fact that God has turned against her. And she says, I don't want you to call me Naomi Pleasant anymore. I want you to call me Mara Bitter, because that is the state of my heart. That's how I see myself. I'm just a bitter person. And so we find that um, when Naomi returns, she just can't reconcile God being a God of love with all the series of tragic and painful events in her life. And because she can't reconcile the two, she jettisons God's love. And that's where we find her in Ruth chapter 2. You remember that uh, she's pretty despondent. She's kind of like laying there at home. Ruth, because of her commitments, her life priorities, she's going to take care of Naomi. Family is huge for her. And so she hatches a plan that she's going to go glean in the fields, gathering sheaves of barley because it's harvest time. That's her plan. She tells Naomi. Naomi signs off on it. Sure, Naomi's kind of laying there at home. And Ruth goes out. And we find that she ends up going to a field belonging to a guy by the name of Boaz. Boaz means nothing to her. In fact, it's, it's rather shocking and surprising that she gets there. There's no like, this is Boaz farm, you know, like little signs or anything like that. There are some markers, and the people that live there, they know where the fields kind of divide up, but she doesn't. And she shows up, asks for permission to glean from a particular, particular field. It happens to belong to Boaz, and so she's working there. Boaz is described as a man of great wealth, really should be translated a man of great valor. It speaks of not just that he has resources, but he's got character, competence, a man of conviction, a person that has the ability to do things. She is gleaning in this field. And so, like someone who is coming to a crime scene, dusting for the fingerprints of God, so we see a perfect set when we come to Ruth chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. If you would like to know, how do you see the fingerprints of God? The first thing you need to know is this. Be grateful for what you have been given. You have to learn how to be grateful for what you have been given. So here we are in verse 17. We've got Ruth. She's out there gleaning, verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So remember that um, Boaz had taken notice of this foreigner, uh, actually had made a, a commandment to not mess with her because it could be rough out there for gleaners. These harvesters could certainly take advantage of people, especially a young woman who is a foreigner, abuse her, or worse. 
And so he says, don't even touch her. Furthermore, he actually provides food for her, has, even serves her when they're having their evening meal. And then he tells his guys, listen, I want you to make sure that you're leaving plenty behind so that she can pick up as much as she can carry. And so she does. And uh, she's got a lot. If you're like, well, like, what's an ephah? I, you know, I don't actually know what that is. Well, that's about, if you're a farmer, that's like a little more than half a bushel. It's 26 quarts of grain. It's going to weigh about 30 pounds. So she beats it out, meaning she takes a stick, separates the chaff and the stock from the grain. She's got about 30 pounds of grain. It is far beyond anything she could ever imagine. And so she is going to then to make her way home. Now think of it, Naomi, she's back at the house. She's not doing really well because when you are really depressed and discouraged, even getting out of bed is a struggle. And yet, Ruth is out there, and she, got to, she has to be thinking, like, I wonder what happened to her, because it's, it's rough out there. And she would know that, it, you know, gleaners could take advantage of her. Furthermore, she's probably like, I wonder if she got any food, if she's been mistreated, how hungry she might be. You know, there's, there's no cell phones. There's, like, no noble phone, like, some text, like, hey, I'm doing great, you know, none of this. Naomi has no idea. And if you're a parent and you've ever had to stay up late waiting for your kid to show up, you know, and you're like, and you're like, every car that drives by, you're like, is that them? And like, uh, no, it's not, right? Well, everybody that walked by her little house, she would wonder, is it, is it Ruth? Is it Ruth? And then finally, Ruth shows up. Look at verse 18. So she took it up. Here she is carrying about 30 pounds of grain, okay? Likely it's not in a bag. She's got her shawl. She's wrapped it up, okay? This would be a chore. Think of it, 30 pounds, and you're going to make your way from the field to the city. And so she does. She is making her way, and she went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left over after she was satisfied. So can't you see her? I mean, she'd already been working hard all day. Now she's got to carry 30 pounds of grain. She's got a smile on her face because like, wow, no one would have expected this. And she's got to think like, what will Naomi think when she sees me with all of this grain? We'd have never expected this. And when she shows up, Naomi like, here's Ruth and she's got all this grain. And then she goes and she sets it down and she's like, whoa, what is going on? And furthermore, did you see that? She sees all that she has, and then Ruth takes out those leftovers. Remember, Boaz gave Ruth at the dinner far more than she could eat. So she takes the leftovers that she's brought. This is all this fully cooked food, this barley, and and she actually takes this roasted barley and this food and presents it to Naomi. And Naomi is thinking like, what? It's like, this is... From my reading, this is the first instance of fast food in the Bible, okay? It's right here. It's all prepared. I don't know if Naomi's thinking that, wow, you know, uh, Ruth stopped at Bethlehem Barley, the food truck, on the way here and brought me this food, but here it is, and she pulls it out. We don't know the last time that Naomi has eaten, but I want you to know that, like, seeing all that grain, she's thinking, great, but in order to grind it, turn it into flour, bake it into bread, that's going to be at least a couple hours, right? Here she has food ready to eat. And I want you to know this was almost overwhelming for her. She begins to ask a series of questions, and we hear a word that we have never heard 
Naomi utter, and it's the word bless. Take a look, verse 19. And her mother-in-law then said to her, where did you glean today and where did you work? Whoa! May he who took notice of you be blessed. And so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Whoa, Boaz. Just the name. Immediately, Naomi would recognize why, why that is one of our closest relatives. It's a man directly related to my late husband, Elimelech. But do you see she uses the word bless? She doesn't even know at this point when she's, she's making this statement about, may this man be blessed that has done this. To bless someone is to thank, to honor, to ask God to bestow favor on an individual. That's what she's doing. May, may this man, and she doesn't even know it's Boaz, be blessed. She's making these statements. And what she's specifically doing is from an attitude of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, she's asking God to bless this individual. And friends, when you begin to express gratitude, you begin to see the fingerprints of God. If you want to be one who is actually seeing God's providential patterns in your life, start giving thanks. When we bless, we express gratitude. And so that's what you want to do. If you really want to see how God's working your life, start being very thankful. So for instance, thank God for the past. Thank Him for how He has worked in so many different ways that even brings you to this point. As soon as you think of it, wow, God, thank you for being so faithful back there 10 years ago, four years ago, four years ago, last week. Thank God for the present. Yeah, you've got your issues and concerns and you probably can't pay that bill or whatever, but think of all that God has done, how he is providing for you at this present time. Give him thanks. Thank God that for the future, you're never going to go this alone. He is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. When we express gratitude, you know what happens? We begin to see God's fingerprints. And I know this from firsthand experience. I want you to know my attitude and my heart always changes when I start giving God specific thanks. And so I've had to develop a pattern because I can get pretty focused on what's wrong, what needs to be fixed, what needs to take place, why did this happen? You know, all the issues, you probably got the same thing. What I need to do, and as soon as I start thinking of it, like, or get a reminder, gratitude. And when you begin to give thanks, you start to see the fingerprints of God in your life. If you want to see the fingerprints of God Give thanks to him for what you've been given. Second of all, though, do this. Believe that God's love never leaves you. Believe that God's love never leaves you. Take a look at verse 20. Now, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord, of Yahweh, who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. And Naomi said to her, The man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. So Naomi is like picking up what's going on. 
Naomi realizes God's providence as work is at work. Do you remember what God's providence is? It is God how how God works in the details behind the scenes to orchestrate events, situations, even human decisions in human lives and in the world itself to bring about the outcomes that he desires. He's working the long game, the long-term plan, but he is also involved in details bringing about his ends. And Naomi is beginning to see this. This wasn't just any old field. This happened to be the field of Boaz. And she says, whose kindness. You see that? Verse 20, God's loyal love to the living and the dead. He hasn't withdrawn his love from us. And you're asking, well, who's who's she speaking of? Is she speaking of God? Or Boaz? And as I keep looking at this, I think the answer is both. She is coming to the realization that God's loyal love has truly never left her, and it's being demonstrated through a man by the name of Boaz. If you want healing and health in your life, you receive that by believing his love and his love for you. If you're here today and your heart is hurting, you might even be hemorrhaging as you've been coming in today. If you really want healing, healing for your heart, believe that his love never leaves you. For like Naomi, it's kind of like the fever broke. And all of a sudden she comes to this understanding, the love of God never leaves the lives of his people. Notice what she refers to in verse 20. She says, this man is our relative, one of our closest relative. Maybe your Bible translated like kinsman, or this man is our kinsman redeemer. This is a very specific term, and it's really, uh, you find at the heart of the book of Ruth. She says, this man is our, here's the Hebrew word, goel, kinsman redeemer. Originally, this uh, had the concept of one who is a trustee of Yahweh's resources, specifically like his land. But it went on to take on the meaning of someone who could provide for a close relative. A close relative who cared, but also had resources. A close relative who could rescue a poverty-stricken family member. Or maybe a family member is going to be uh, brought into slavery and sold into slavery. A kinsman redeemer could actually redeem and purchase that person. Or if a family had gotten so poor and they had to sell their land in order to live... A kinsman redeemer could step in and buy that land and keep it in the family. And in the time of the judges, the goel, a kinsman redeemer, could even serve as one who could uh, be like a brother-in-law and marry the widow of of a family member who had deceased. So in this case, like Ruth, her husband has died, a kinsman redeemer could marry her and have a son, and that son would carry on the family name. That is all part of a kinsman redeemer, a a goel. It's referred to as, and we've talked about this before, a leveret marriage from the Latin lever, which means brother-in-law, a brother-in-law marriage. And that's what's entailed when she says, our closest relative, verse 22. This is that kind of individual. For Naomi, it's kind of like we've watched her and on that heart monitor, and it's almost been kind of like a flat line, and all of a sudden, whoop, whoop, 
all of a sudden there's like a heartbeat. She's coming alive. She is realizing that God's loyal love, his kindness, has indeed never left her. In fact, she even says his kindness to the living and the dead. She realizes that not only God's loving kindness for me, for Ruth, but for my dead husband and my boys who have passed away. His loving kindness hasn't left. And when you come to the word has said, kindness, loyal love, it's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. It's a word that God wants us to really know well. Because when it speaks of God's loyal love, his has said, it speaks that God is a covenant God. He makes promises, he bestows love, he cares, he can be trusted. When it speaks of, Hased speaks of, like, for humanity or for a person, it speaks of someone who loves and serves and sacrifices and cares and makes commitments. And she is saying, God's loving kindness hasn't ended. She realizes what I'm witnessing, what's taking place, is Hased. His love is at work. And I want you to know for, for Naomi... Hesed was at the high points of all of her life. Because Hesed is what kept the community together. Hesed was at the heart of relationship among all the people of Israel. Hesed was what, why they had hope and peace and perspective. It's God's loyal love. But I want you to know that Hesed, God's kindness, his loyal love, was at the heart of her very lowest points for Naomi. Because she couldn't make sense of this. God being a God of loyal love and her experiences, all this death and pain and displacement, confusion, she couldn't reconcile it. And so it seemed to me, it seemed to her like a, a contradiction. And now she's learning. She's learning one of the most important lessons of life, that God's loyal love never leaves her people, his people. I want you to know that that is a question that you and I are most likely going to have to ask and answer in our lives. We're all going to have experiences of pain, sorrow, difficulty, things that we have never would have expected would have happened to us. And you feel like, where is God in all this? Where is his love? Has his love left? Naomi is beginning to discover, indeed, it has not. You see, God has had these events take place and had them recorded so that we're going to learn some of these most critical life lessons. Who do you want to learn from? Do you want to learn from someone whose life is pretty much like, perfect, right? They look perfect. Nothing bad ever seems to happen to them. Or do you want to learn from someone who has gone through the difficulties, who has lived in the trenches, who has experienced the brokenness and the heartache and the pain and the problems and the unknowns and the things that can't be reconciled. That's why God has had this recorded. And we learn from her. You see, prosperity, like most Americans, what it does is it has a way of dulling our senses to the presence of God. I mean, who needs God? I can provide for myself. I care for myself. I do whatever I want. But when you really go through brokenness, when you experience pain, 
When you come to the dark places where you can't even sense God's presence, when you begin to see his fingerprints, just even simple expressions of his loyal love, like some food or a bag of barley, what happens is you begin to see this is God's loyal love for me. If you're wealthy and you're like, well, whatever, I just expect food and I just expect all these things to happen to me, chances are you're really not seeing the fingerprints of God. That's one of the beauties of brokenness that brings us to a place where we begin to see and we're so very grateful for what we have. She is realizing this, just like, you know, Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah had a similar experience. When he saw the entire uh, southern the southern part of Israel, Judah, being completely demolished and hauled off into captivity. He wrote a book called Lamentations. It's called Lamentations for a reason. It is lamentable. And yet at the very heart of all the brokenness, he begins to see the fingerprints of God. In fact, it says, Lamentations 3, 21 through 23, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And see what Naomi is learning? And she is teaching us that it's God's hased, loyal love, and trouble can coexist. They are actually together. So for Naomi, I mean, can't you see it? It's like the worry is starting to just roll off her shoulders. Wow, she's got food, she's got barley. Ruth is being provided for. I mean, the famine's over. There's some really great things that are happening. But at the same time, when Naomi puts her head on that pillow, the pillow next to her is empty. She's still in poverty. She is still marginalized. Eventually, uh, the harvest is going to end. Ruth still has to go all day backbreaking work and work just to provide for them. These are her realities. And what she is learning to do is to realize that God's loving kindness and the brokenness and the, and the issues of his providence that I can't understand, they can coexist. They can actually be happening at the same time. said and heartache, together, one person, and God never wants us to forget that his loyal love never ends. Would you like to, today, memorize half a psalm? Like, that would be pretty productive. I've got just the one for you. Psalm 136. 26 times at the end of every sentence, there is the exact same statement. So it begins this way. It says, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And for 26 times... That's how the psalm ends, for his loving kindness is everlasting. If you can remember that, you have just memorized half a psalm. Great job! But more than just memorize it, why is it repeated? Why is God being so redundant? Because we forget and we must know his loyal love, no matter what, it's everlasting. He never leaves us. And that's what she's learning. She's learning that the love of God never leaves the lives of his people. And when we believe this, like really believe it, we begin to see the fingerprints of God. 
And finally, let me just give you one other approach. If you really want to see the fingerprints of God, do this. Bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. That's what we see here, beginning in verse 21. Ruth and Naomi, they're flourishing in the grace of God. Life is far from perfect, but they are blooming where they're planted. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he, speaking of Boaz, said to me, you should stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. Again, just showing you how dangerous it was to be a gleaner. And then verse 23. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You might find like, well, those are just like just minor little details. No, I want you to see that they are blooming right where God has planted them. In their poverty, in the little house or shack that they're living in, Gleaning in the fields, they're making the most of the opportunities that God has given them. You see, when Naomi is beginning to dust to see, can she see the fingerprints of God? Do you know where she finds them? Why, she finds Ruth's fingerprints and Boaz's fingerprints. You see, so very often, we see the fingerprints of God through the image bearers of his people. And that's what she sees right here. If you're asking a question, hey, where is God? Where is God in all of this? I'll tell you where he's at. He is living in his people. Where's God? He is living in his people. His people are his feet, his voice. You, are you on mission? You represent God to the people in your lives. Much of what people think about God is what they think about you if you identify as a follower of Christ, as one who is trusting in Him. So I want you to think about this. How do you bloom where you're planted? Because that's what God wants you to do. He has you right where you're at, in your circumstances, your family, our community, your job, your school, so that you will bloom where you're planted. So often like, well, I just need to get out of here. The idea is like, man, the grass will be greener on the other side of the septic tank, right? People think like that. It's not. If God wants to move you, move you, I want you to know he will make that abundantly clear. But he's likely trying to teach you lessons of learning to flourish and bloom where he has planted you. So how do you do that? Well, let me just tell you simply. One, you want to rest in God's loyal love given in his son. If you want to see God's ultimate loving kindness, it's given to us in Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 says this, By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. We love because He first loved us. And God wants us to rest in the reality of the gospel He is the one who has accomplished all things for us. He has paid for our sins. He has done so because he has loved us. He has brought us into his family. He wants us to rest in and rejoice in his love. When you do that, 
you're putting yourself in a position where you can bloom where you're planted. Second, you want to move forward by faith. You need to learn to put the past in the past. Some of you are paralyzed by past mistakes or what someone has done to you. Leave the past in the past. If forgiveness needs to be given, give it. And you're like, well, I can't do that. Let me tell you someone who specializes in forgiveness. God, he will help you. He wants you to move forward. Do the next thing. What's in front of you? Be proactive. Ask God. He'll help you take the next step. Make the most of your opportunities. Move forward by faith. And then third, if you're going to bloom where you're planted, just be a blessing to others. Take the initiative. Be kind. Smile. Give specific words of encouragement or appreciation. You can do this. After all, you're God's image bearers. Just bloom where you're planted. Be a blessing to others. Do something of value for others. God reveals his loyal love through his faithful people. That is always how it works. We're seeing it here with Ruth and Boaz. So be a blessing at your job, how you go about it. In your cards, your emails, your texts, with your handshake, a hug, whatever it might be. When I look at Fellowship Bible Church, and I see all these people serving in all these different ministries, whether it be uh, working with our children, uh, you've got folks that are in our soul care ministry, you've got Stephen ministers. These are people who are just like, hey, I want to serve, I'm willing to sacrifice, because I want to demonstrate God's loyal love, and I'm doing it in His strength. I, you know, when I was like working on this, I found out that we have all these ladies in our mom life ministry. They're actually writing letters to older po- folks in our church to encourage them. Some of these moms are having their kids like color and draw pictures, and they're putting those in as well. You know what that is? Oh, that's fingerprints of God. You know, we have people in our church that drive quite a ways to J.H. Hines, that school up in North Waco, that is, of all the schools that are failing in the Waco ISD, that's the one that's the worst. And it's our people that are going every single week. They're making the drive and they're connecting with those kids and they're working with them to teach them how to read. And in some cases, they might be one of the few voices of encouragement they have. You know what that is, don't you? It's the fingerprints of God. It's blooming where you're planted. I remember uh, years ago, I, a guy met with me and he said, you don't know this, but there's a couple of women in your church that come over to my house every week. And he said, the reason that they are coming over is because my wife is going through my, this serious cancer, and I, and I knew about that. He says, every single week, these women come over and they clean our house. You know what that is, don't you? It's the fingerprints of God. God is made known through his people And when you're having eyes of faith, you know what it does? It allows us to see the fingerprints of God. It's like we see in Ephesians chapter 1. Remember in one of Paul's great prayers, what does he pray at the very beginning? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glories, of inheritance and the saints. God, would you open my eyes that I can see who you are, the hope of your calling, so that I live by faith. That's what's taking place, and that's what we need. We need to know that God is providentially at work, and his loving kindness never leaves. 
because all of us have challenges. It's going to happen. We're going to get that phone call. There's going to be some tragic accident. There's a time you might lose your job. The cancer might spread. That family relationship has really gone haywire. That one kid, man, he's just, he's in total rebellion. She has left you and said some of the most hurtful things. I want you to remember, God's loyal love never leaves leaves you. And his providence is at work even if you can't connect the dots. You see, part of the problem is we can't reconcile suffering with this life. We spend so much of our time like, I just need to be comfortable. And, and there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. There's nothing wrong celebrating and enjoying God's blessing because he wants us to do that. But I understand this, that if you read the Bible and you live life as a follower of Jesus, he uses suffering to develop depth in our lives. Eugene Peterson writes of this, and he says, you know, in essence, we've pretty much got it all backwards because we're always trying to get out of suffering. Listen to what he said about how God always works with his own. Quote, we live in a time when everyone's goal is to be perpetually healthy and constantly happy. If any one of us fails to live up to the standards that are advertised as normative, we are labeled as a problem to be solved. And a host of well-intentioned people rush to try out various cures on us. Then he goes on to write, The gospel offers a different view of suffering. In suffering, we enter the depth. We are at the heart of things. We are near to where Christ was on the cross. You know, I wish that I could go through life unscathed by trouble. I'm, I'm a good learner. I know how to read. I, I know how to read people. I like to learn from their experiences. When it comes to suffering, I'd like to live vicariously, okay? But I want you to know that's not how it works. Not for me and not for you. We go through these experiences in God's love, in his providence, and we come to a richer, deeper, fuller understanding of who God is, a greater love, a greater joy. Naomi basically is showing us this whole fairy tale approach to life with God, this kind of like fanciful, uh, always sunny side up version of Christianity. That doesn't work. And it's going to let you down and break, break you down. She's showing us reality. And the reality is this that God's loving kindness and the difficulties of even his providence. Can it coexist? I, I want you to know, like, that's been difficult for me. I, you know, oftentimes see things black and white, and things are either, like, awesome, or I see all these problems, they're not so awesome, right? I'm kind of, kind of binary. Maybe you can relate to that, right? And I want you to know that I am really learning how important this is. This, for me, has been a journey. I want to give you something that's been most helpful to me and pass it on for you to try it out. How do you walk by faith in the midst of the troubling problems of life? Well, this is how you do it. You walk. You have one foot that extends, and you put one foot down, and it lands on God's loving kindness, his loyal love. And then you have the, another foot. It extends, and it sets down on God's providence that he is in control. He's working all things together for his good. And so actually, and I encourage you to try this, but there are times that I literally will walk and I'll actually think, 
Loving kindness. Think of something. Thank him for it. God's providence. I certainly don't understand why this has happened or what's going on here. I'm God, I need you to trust you. Loving kindness. Wow, you've been really good to me. You're faithful. Providence. God, I'm going to have to leave that with you. I simply can't fix it. I don't understand it. And I've found that when you do this, you walk by faith. Try it. Loving kindness. Providence. And friends, if you don't do this, and this is so critically important, if you do not hold God's loving kindness and His providence together, you're going to end up as a very bitter person. You're going to have no joy. You're going to have all this grief in your life. And you're not going to know how to deal with it. And you're going to want to change your name to Mara or something like it. You know, in the springtime, that's a great time to pull out the weeds. Ever notice that the only thing green in my yard right now are the weeds. So it's a good time to get them out. And when you see the weeds of bitterness in your life, greed, lack of joy, jealousy, regret, ill will, pull them out. Ask for for God's forgiveness. Ask Him for help. And then let's move forward by faith. Walk by faith. God's loving kindness, His providence. And when we have eyes of faith, it allows us to see the fingerprints of God. Let's pray. Lord, you have been so good to us, far more than we ever give you credit. For someone who is here today who has never truly trusted in your Son, and they need forgiveness of sins, they need life with you, would they pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself, my sin, I repent, I need you. God, fill me, lead me. I want to rest in your love. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, help us to walk by faith, trusting in your providence and your loving kindness. Use us for your glory. May we be instruments of your grace. We ask this as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Grant. Sometimes it's easy to see the fingerprints of God's work in our lives, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hidden. We mistake it for something else, but um, just trust and know that our God is still in control. That's what this song speaks of. Let's stand together as we close our service. Still in control